Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Our Shelves, a podcast where writers from the legendary feminist publishing house Virago talk about their cultural worlds. We'll be diving into these writers' bookshelves, record collections, and recollections to discover what inspires them. I'm Lucy Scholes, and my guest today is Veronica Raimo. Veronica is the author of four novels, the most recent of which, Niente de Vero, um, which Virago is publishing as Lost on Me, translated into English this month. This has been a runaway bestseller in Italy, where it sold 100,000 copies, won various prominent literary prizes, including the Stringer Giovanni Prize. Veronica also contributes cultural articles to various Italian publications, and her translations into Italian include work by F. Scott Fitzgerald, Octavia E. Butler, Ray Bradbury and Ursula K. Le Guin. Welcome to our shows, Veronica. I'm thrilled that you're joining us today. Hello. Very nice to be here. <laughs> so as I just said, Lost on Me has been a wonderful success in Italy. And having just read it over the past weekend myself, I can see why I really, really fell in love with it. For our listeners who haven't had a chance to get hold of the book yet, because it's just about to come out, could you give them a little bit of a taste of what's it about? Um, yeah, um, it's a sort of, um, let's say, uh, funny um, autobiography. I mean, uh, in this moment, you know, it, it's very uh, difficult to say what is self-autofiction uh, and what is, you know. Mm. So I, I'm sort of, um, what I was trying to do is actually to put in question the... the um, the I don't know the issue itself of w- what it means to talk about uh, ourselves because I I think that uh, in any case our memory is such a, um, a, a fragile device uh, uh, that mm. we cannot really you know um, use as a a, a strong um, criteria to, to to tell ourselves so it, it's a um, a sort of a collage of a different moment of a um, a child that then will become a, a girl and then a, a woman trying to reassemble her life uh, through fake memories and through deliberate invention and and yeah really putting question her identity because she cannot um, allow herself to be so transparent to herself because uh, she doesn't uh, She's not sure about her memories. That's one one point, and it's it's also a story of a family. So and about people that uh, can create a, a new family when you um, struggle very much to get rid of your own family, even if it's not a terrible <laughs> family. But as you know, every family 
that moment should come when you want to say farewell to your family. And so it's also what it means to create a new kind of family with not just with your lovers and partner and uh, boyfriends, but with friends and uh, people that you meet and uh, even books that, you know, there are sort of strong presences in um, uh, in, uh, in the life of this uh, character that sort of is me. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's so fun because I think a little bit of what you're talking about there is that your character, the character of Veronica, is very much um, not trapped, maybe that's too far, but she's very interested in the stories that the other family members tell about themselves, mm-hmm. right? And also the stories that she tells about the family. And I love that. And I think you make very clear in the novel that so much of um, sort of the bonds between family members can be about the stories that hold those families together and the kind of, do you remember this? Do you remember that? Yeah, exactly. And people remembering things slightly differently. And also her brother's a writer. And so there's a sort of sense of who's going to tell the story and is there only one story to be told or are there multiple stories about this family? Yeah, exactly. I, I, um, so I was not so interested in, in saying, uh, in describing um, a girl that... Uh, uh, should arrive to be herself because uh, I, for me, the, the point is more we should uh, invent ourselves constantly. That, that's what I'm. What, what I think is, uh, um, it, it's a. Uh, it's first of all, it's funnier and uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I think also not this kind of. Um, in position we have to 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 say the truth to tell the truth uh, can be very violent some sometime uh, because um, uh, we don't always know what is true we don't always know what we're really feeling and uh, so I think that um, sometimes contradiction and uh, lies can uh, be a more realistic description of ourselves, and and also all this friction between our memories and and the story we tell ourselves, and the story that other people tell um, tell us, and 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 the vision other people have uh, of ourselves. I mean, this is all this narration. It's much more interesting than the narration of a, a character than. I don't know, is supposed to talk about himself or herself and just speaking the truth. I don't believe in that truth. And uh, I believe that literature is uh, really uh, a very um, useful and complicated uh, means that uh, allow us to, to do that, to mix together invention, fake memories, um, yes, contradiction and and lies. The novel is also very funny. You're very good at skewering this family, I think, and showing their sort of frailties and their com- the comedic elements of them. Was that is that quite fun to write? Do you find that comes naturally? Uh, yes, and I was also very much intended. Um, I don't know, at the beginning, um, I was not thinking um, to write a, um, a novel, and I, I'm not even sure I can uh, describe this book as a novel. Uh, but so at the very beginning, I was what I wanted to, to do was to write um, um, a comical. Um, monologue for a friend of mine she's an actress so we wanted to ah. work together yes to i mean so i was writing this a uh, uh, theatrical play for her um that was uh just before uh, the pandemic so and, and so you know it was very weird at that time to think about theater we, we didn't even know if we'll 
uh, I mean, if theater could uh, keep on existing. So, I mean, all these uh, performative uh, part of our life was totally, I mean, completely collapsed. So, but but I kept on writing. Um, and, and that's also why um, the book itself uh, has um, this sort of structure that works with fragments. And, uh, and I think there is also... Um, I mean, I, I think you, you can feel that uh, is a monologue intended for some performative purpose. And uh, maybe it will become, at one point, a theater play. I, I, I don't know. So, But uh, I wanted to, to, yeah, to write for her that she's a, basically a comedian. So that, that was, the, was the idea. And, uh, yeah. Oh, fantastic. I had no, I had no idea, but it, now you talk about it, it makes perfect sense. The, the voice is so strong and I could see it being performed in a, in a really fascinating way. I hope that comes to pass. That would be wonderful. Um, let's move into some of our main questions now. You're going to start, I think, by telling me about a couple of books that are currently on your bedside table. Yep. Um, so one is, um, uh, by, Jeff Dyer, I don't know if I'm pronouncing him correctly. Yeah, yeah, Jeff yeah. Dyer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, of him because, I don't know, maybe he's doing what I, I really would like to do, mix so many uh, different kind of things. So, like, yeah, um, autofiction and um, essay. And uh, he also, I mean, I really like his kind of humor and, uh, and I like how he can... Uh, um, sort of go through different issue and team and um, and, and, and mix them together in a in, in a not very resolved way, but a super um, inspiring way. So I mean, it, it's all looks quite inspiring for me. And I mean, this book is that is a uh, about the last days of of Federer. It's basically, of course, not just about uh, the last days of Federer as a all uh, dire books. It, I mean, they are all about so many other things, and um, I, I don't know. I, I think that um, it was quite beautiful reading it. Uh, I mean, it, it's still there because I mean, I, I actually already read the books, but I want to keep uh, on my <laughs> nice. Know, yes, because I want to keep on. You know, um, you want to go back to it. Yeah, and exactly. Get it again and. Yeah. Um, and I think that a book about um, about the end and about what finishing means today um, mm. it's, uh, create creates a link to the future. So one thing that I I love about Dyer and and especially in this book, but I think it's a it's it's a lot. Um, there's a lot of it in, in a lot in other books by Dyer, is that um, is an author that uh, reveals the workings uh, and the glitches uh, beyond his uh, his writing. So all the anxiety and the frustration of the process. Mm -hmm. So um, that his work uh, uh, actually um, putting question the work itself. So if I have to think to the impossible biography that he was uh, trying to write about D.H. Um, Lawrence, for example. Yes. So I like very much when a, a writer um, show all the, shows all the struggle of the um, you know, writing process itself. Yeah, yeah, pulls back the curtain and tells you how it's going behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. What, where yeah. they're getting stuck or what, what is actually kind of... Yeah. 
And those books as well are fascinating. I think The Out of Sheer Rage, the one about D.H. Lawrence, for me is so interesting because it starts out being one thing and by the end it's a completely different book to the one that he hoped to write. And yeah. I'm always fascinated by those volumes that people you know, start out to do one thing and they do something yeah, even exactly. better by the end of it. And, yeah. and, and then in particular, there was something that for me was very touching in this book and it's when he is talking about... Um, uh, Martin Amis last book uh, um, mm-hmm. inside story and uh, so it was uh, short before I mean I read the book short before uh, uh, Amis uh, died and uh, and so in the and I are, so it's talking about his last book and, and saying uh, that I mean that is a good book but it didn't really appreciate some parts and and he said that uh, um, it would have cut uh, something like 200 pages which can be some I don't know a bit insulting somehow but then uh, actually for me was um, so yes so touching because I thought that actually um, it's comforting somehow to know that uh, there will be someone after us who will read us uh, will read uh, the stuff that we wrote and maybe they he or she will enjoy it and uh, um and but however they would enjoy it with um, maybe 200 pages less or with other <laughs> i don't know um, uh, with something different so the idea that after we die there, there are people that can read our books and find something that uh, uh they would have done different for me it's a uh, again it's it's a link to uh, a post-mortem, post-mortem life. So it's really a connection to a future in which we can come back to what we have written. I I always um, intend literature as a process, maybe because I'm also a translator, and, and so I know how many times a book can be translated and retranslated. And I like to know that things can be uh, done. I, I don't want to be to say that they can be done better, but different and so the idea that things can be done and redone and there is not an idea of perfection is mm. something that uh, i don't know somehow keeps me alive as a writer and also as a human being that's so lovely i had never thought of it like that before but that idea of different yeah different versions of a certain text someone else might read something differently in it somebody else might think that it's better without that and that sense of it the text itself existing beyond the author exactly. right and transforming in the process how wonderful um and i think the other book you're going to talk about is a novel i'm not sure this one's been translated into english so i, I checked I, it this. seems no so i don't know no. i'm not sure if it's coming out or um yeah, yeah it's um it's a spanish author so the um, the title in, uh, in Spanish is Carcoma, that's uh, a kind of insect. And uh, and she's called Laila Martinez. Uh, she's a young Spanish author. Um, and um, and actually, uh, what I really enjoyed in, in this uh, novel is... Um, so there is this topos of, uh, of literature that uh, deals with the concept of home. So the, either you have to come back home or you have to leave home. So, but home is always this, you know, uh, important place from where or to which uh, people tend to go or escape. While here, um, uh, 
home is never is, is neither um, a place of belonging uh, or a place of uh, of of longing, but it's a sort of a, so it's not a starting point, it's not a place to come back to, but uh, it's, it's a trap, it's a course, it's a, um, it's a prison, and um, ultimately it's a nightmare, <laughs> and uh, and there are two main characters, so there, there is um, um, a, a grandmother and a, her granddaughter, and they are... Um, so the book is uh, organized into different monologues. So some, and okay. it's, it's not so clear when is the daughter, the granddaughter speaking, and when it's the grandmother. And this, um, uh, and they are trapped in this house, and uh, of, of pure violence. And it's like the, so the the author is is very clever in describing uh, the. It's sort of an, an endemic depth of violence that uh, we share between generation, and uh, and this uh, and this violence is a, is a violence caused by gender and class violence, and okay. uh, and so I don't know. I thought that it was also uh, a different way to talk about. Um, gender-based violence because mm. uh, um, she was using uh, this kind of, um, let's say, stylistic feature of a horror narrative, and uh, but also uh, the device of, um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, you say class rage. So, I mean, uh, yeah. yes, so, so she, she made very clear how um gender based violence is interconnected with uh, also a question of uh, of class and uh, how right. so the you know we have this uh, monster world with this uh, patriarchy uh, yeah uh, but very and, and i don't know not it's, it's not so easy to identify what it is, but uh, the two main component is, uh, yeah, the, of course, there, there is a gender-based violence, but there is also violence that has a lot of, to do with uh, um, a class uh, status. So, uh, and... Uh, and it's a novel, so it's not an essay. It's, it's not that um, something about uh, intersectionality in a in mm. a very explicit way. But uh, uh, she's doing that through this, uh, yeah, horror narrative with these two women stuck in this house and uh, trapped in this house, where yeah, they, they keep on uh, be oppressed by this, uh, you know, yeah violence that uh, uh, comes from a very, very distant place uh, in, in, in a very distant time. And, uh, and, and it, it seems a bit oppressive like that, but it's a, it's a very funny book. I mean, she's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know, I, I didn't say that. I mean, she's, uh, she has a wonderful style and uh, she's very funny. She's uh, very sarcastic and uh, so, it's, okay. yeah. I really love okay. it. Have you read any of her work before? Is this the first time you're reading her? Uh, yes, the first time, but I also think uh, it's uh, her debut novel. So that's... Ah, okay. So the, yeah, for sure, it, it's the first book that is translated into Italian, but I also think it's, it's uh, her mm. um, debut novel, yes. 
interesting um that sounds great i hope someone translates it into english very yeah. soon then i can read it as well um and next up i think you're going to talk about a film this is a film very new film isn't it i don't i haven't seen it yet uh disco boy yeah yeah mm. tell me a bit about this film where where did you see it? is it I, hasn't it only just been released is that right yes uh um i saw at the cinema uh, like a week ago or something like that um, okay uh it was uh, i if i remember correctly um at the berlinale festival uh it's by um, an italian director uh giacomo abruzzese and uh basically is a um, he made a documentary film, so this is the his first um, feature movie. Yeah, mm. uh, but you can uh, clearly see the documentary background he has as a director. Okay. Um, and and what I found um, both interesting on a, um, a dramatic level and on. A, a visual level is a yes, there's a um, compenetration in a way, but also a strange clash uh, between yeah the uh, documentary approach and uh, some kind of very weird uh, vision he has. So there, there are some so is a there are some images that are super surrealistic, let's say, and uh, mm-hmm. but. Uh, but then you you see the documentary approach, and it's a um, uh, it's also a very original way to to describe European history of migration uh, without uh, recurring to um, to easy narratives that we are used to. And uh, it's, it's a film about uh, I would say desire and and violence again and uh, and, <laughs> and desperation and uh, and male fragility in a super macho environment because it's a film about uh, uh, la légion étrangère. Hmm. And so there is this main character that uh, goes so actually yeah he, he enters in the in the legend and and, and then all is a struggle to to overcome his uh, own uh, his own trauma and uh, and to somehow protect himself from a um, from a choice that of course it's not a choice anymore because it's a sort of imposed choice and it's uh, it's not easy to talk about uh, male fragility and um, mm. and I think this is a a movie that uh, it's very does it in a very subtle way and a very poetic way and also uh, I don't know the director took long time to produce this movie and, uh, and I'm happy that uh, he finally did and you can see how uh, I mean, uh, you, you can see also the struggle to to make the movie as he wanted to do because it's a very strange and original movie and it's it's so different from so many other movies that uh, are produced at the moment. So it's uh, you see that he had a clear vision and want to respect that clear vision he had. So uh, I can see why, I mean, uh, it took so so long to... To realize that, to realize the movie, and uh, yes, uh, and I think it, it's all there. It's all there, and um, and it's all there. Also, is love uh, to the cinema. So there are so many quotations from 
big movies that can be Apocalypse Now. Or, uh, okay. uh, I don't know. For me, uh, uh, I still love very much to go to the cinema, even if, you know, everything now it's happening on Netflix or whatever. And watching that movie uh, on a cinema screen was an experience. So to go to the cinema and still have an experience, a, a visual experience, I, I think it's something. So, I mean, mm. this is something I am very fond of. Are you a big movie goer? Do you enjoy going to the cinema? Yeah, very much, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose as a... Even just you letting me know, you telling me that uh, Lost on Me originally started out as the idea mm-hmm. for a sort of a monologue. Uh, I suppose I'd, I'd love to know when you watch these sort of films and the way you're talking about this one as well, are you very interested in the sort of storytelling process and thinking about the nuts and bolts behind it, like how somebody has put this picture together, how they are telling the story? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, and I'm also very... Uh, I like to know all the um, uh, production problems. I know that's, it, that oh. seems, you know, very um, poetic or whatever, but, but, but I think that from from that kind of problem, you understand a lot about the movie itself, about the choices that mm-hmm. the director did. I, I, and I like to know all the obstacles that uh, were there. I mean, uh, so... Um, if I have to think to, you know, one of the um, uh, most famous examples of Fitzcarraldo, of course. So all, all I think is that it's in the background and now problematic somehow some mm. can be to do exactly what you want to do. It's something that uh, I'm very fascinated. Even if it's the result is not uh, exactly w- what I would like to see, but uh, I'm very happy when... Uh, when a director has a clear vision and uh, even if there are so many, you know, yeah, production problems, he or she keeps on doing uh, and following the inspiration somehow or keeps on following the inspiration even uh, if the inspiration itself changes, which is something mm. that also can happen. So instead of, you know, having to be very strictful and say, okay, this is a... Uh, the script, uh, I, this is the casting, uh, everything now should work and they can change my ideas because if I could change my ideas, it would be a, a waste of money. I mean, I like people that waste money if they have to. <laughs> <laughs> I love this idea. It's so interesting hearing you talk about, you know, the way that you're interested in in sort of interrogating the writing process itself and how people put their stories on the page, how they put them on the screen, these problems that might have arisen and what it all adds to it. The way you're talking about, you know, Jeff Dyer showing some of the process, the yeah, working exactly. process. Yeah, and so many, I not. I mean, this is a very kind of um, broad statement, but it's so often that people are very fixated on the end result and they don't want to see mm-hmm. what's happened to get yeah, to yeah, that yeah, point. No. They want to see the sort of beautiful finished piece of art that doesn't show all the kind of the, what's happened behind the scenes. But actually that it's a whole new way of appreciating it, I think, as well. Yeah, I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shall be back in just a moment. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Our Shelves. I'm Lucy Scholes, and I'm talking to Veronica Raimo about uh, what it means to know about the problems and the uh, sort of bits and pieces, the nuts and bolts that go on behind the scenes when you're writing books, um, making films or the like. Um, next up, Veronica, could you tell me about a book that made you think about feminism in a new way? Um, yes, there's this book um, <clears throat> uh, by Catherine Angel, uh, which is called mm. Sex Will Be With Again in um, in English. And it's a book I... Um, uh, I translated uh, together with um, another translator. Um, and so, I mean, it made me think in a new way about feminism, also because of uh, uh, translation issues. And again, you know, I want to ah. up to the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, behind the scenes. Exactly. <laughs> so the, the, the little personal failure as translator, for example, um, um she talks a lot about bad sex. Mm. And in Italy, we don't have this concept of bad sex uh, as uh, you have uh, in the um, Anglo-Saxon world. So uh, that was very interesting, uh, you know, as a cultural difference, because uh, um, it's like in Italy, you don't need to use this expression. So then we decide to keep it in um, in English because we couldn't... Uh, find an expression that was bad sex that was meaning the same thing that was meaning uh for a wow yeah uh, and uh and, and we decided to to, to yeah to keep the to, yeah just to explain the first time but then we, we didn't want to use um a sentence or um, a paraphrasis to to describe that so we, we keep that in in english and, and another uh cultural um, yeah, a strong cultural difference was uh, the title, uh, for example, uh, because um, uh, the, the title is, is actually um, the English translation of um, uh, an expression by Foucault, which was mm. in French, uh, à demain le bon sexe, which uh, literally means uh, mm, good sex, tomorrow good sex. So okay. just you know tomorrow and then comma good sex. Uh, so it, but but in a, in the French um, in the French yeah expression of uh, of Foucault uh, there was some kind of um, there was kind of some kind of irony. So it was like a sort of a impossible um, uh, aspiration as a so it's like right. oh yeah yeah. Good sex. We talk about that tomorrow, while uh, the English translation is much more affirmative. Yeah, tomorrow six sex will be good again. So you completely remove the irony from the um, from the friend. And so uh, to to have a so, so then we decide to translate. Uh, um, we didn't um, keep the French expression by Foucault, but, but we also didn't want to be so affirmative, uh, assertive uh, as um, as it was the English title. Um, and 
I don't know, but talking uh, strictly about feminism, um, I, I really um, like very much, and I think it was really um, uh, uh, very uh, a very uh, controversial point of view, especially in the contemporary debate, what she was saying about uh, the culture of consents. And uh, because, um, so basically Angel says that uh, if, post-feminism put uh, such a strong emphasis about on uh, sex positivity and uh, uh, assertive, assertiveness. Uh, um, how do, I mean, what do we do when uh, we have women that don't know exactly what, what they desire, what they want, or, or that are unable to express very clearly this desire? So it's not so right. easy to, so it, it's like, uh, it's another kind of violence to uh you know order a woman to be always uh, completely conscious of her desire and her will and to express uh, it loudly um and so i i like this way in which angel uh explores the dialectic nature of desire and um and also uh i mean I like that she claims that this um, emphatic uh, rhetor rhetoric uh, that that um, urge self knowledge about desire is problematic because uh, um, it represents it, it depicts women as vulnerable, but uh, and this is a point, but also reveals um, the horror of vulnerability as she as she wrote. So and I think that's that's quite an important point to um, not to share a vision of feminism in which uh, women should be absolutely uh, resolved and strong and uh, and successful and winner. That's uh, I mean because otherwise you will get to this uh, very let's say capitalist. Um, uh, um, gap between winner and loser it's really really the same so I don't want to think that there are uh, Serie A uh, women and Serie B women and, uh, and and so we we should talk much more about the concept of vulnerability than uh, um, than just trying to support um, empowerment in the sense that you know every single woman should be yeah, strong and successful and uh, express exactly what, what she wants and uh, and maybe keeps what, what she wants. Because, yeah, I I guess that uh, very often that there is a sort of opacity uh, between mm. uh, our desire and ourself. And also, the, I, I think that desire um, for his dialectic nature, but also for his... Uh, um, ambiguous nature can can change yeah. can change in time so maybe what and can change also in a very short time so what yeah, I, yeah it's not a constant is yeah it? exactly so yeah and, and i i thought it was a it was a nice i mean no i'm interested because uh if you work as a translator it sounds like in this particular instance the book obviously had quite an impact on you as well does that make you sort of more keen to then translate something or i mean if you're passionate about the subject does that make you a sort of better translator do you think uh i don't know if, if, if uh, <laughs> i am a better translator i am i 
maybe yes, of course. Um, fortunately, I mean, I start um, my activity uh, as a translator, I think, uh, almost 20 years ago. And if wow. I reread uh, the first translation, I find them terrible. That, that's why I'm very happy <laughs> that, you know, books can be retranslated. And I'm glad if someone will be, you know, will do a... a, a a better job or a different job from what I did. But um, now I feel lucky enough that I can uh, refuse books that I don't want to translate mm-hmm. because I don't like them or because I don't feel uh, the, the right engagement or whatever. And uh, so basically I try to translate just books that uh, I, I find either beautiful or that speak to me for some reason. So... Um, and so it was happening absolutely with the Catherine Angel and um, yeah and uh, um, and it was also yeah as I was saying before it was also very uh, fascinating to, uh, to you know trying to to resolve but not really uh, then solving all these uh, cultural differences between Italian culture and uh, mm. uh, um, British culture about uh, desire, sex, and feminism. So that there are some areas that are still very separated. Even if we are, you know, we all live in a West World and whatever. But uh, uh, and of course, I can say that Italy is very much colonized by um, Anglo-Saxon culture. But still, um, for some historical, uh, social, and um, any other reason there are still huge differences and and uh, and when you see this in a transla- translation process I, I think that uh, uh, I don't know it, it's much more st- stimulating yeah so mm. trying to solve problems and then not solve problems because it's okay but but maybe the difference is you know is better uh, than the solution itself so it's yeah. like if you have this uh, just little glitch or whatever, yeah. Mm, mm. So interesting to hear about it like that. I, I, I would never have thought there would be those. I mean, obviously, I would, it doesn't necessarily surprise me when you when you talk about it. But at the same time, these little things that you wouldn't have thought might have been a cultural difference, but actually are, and they come out in these works. Uh, like yeah. and how you deal with them is so kind of important. Um, Next up, I'm going to ask you about a um, a person, uh, a woman or a person of an unrepresented gender whom you admire. And we've got a little bit of a link with translation here because you've translated some of this author's work, yeah, haven't yeah. you, into Italian? Yes. So who's your who's the author? Uh, she's uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. I, I hope the pronunciation is Le Guin. I mean, I... <laughs> yeah, as far as I'm aware it is. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, um, yeah. For example, talking about um, uh, imperfect solution, imperfect mm. solutions, she's really the queen of them. Um, I, for example, translating her uh, sometimes could be very irritating because uh, she's very chaotic in, uh, she's super messy in her writing. And, and so you, you were thinking, okay, but uh, you get this quote here and you have the same quote uh, from, I don't know, whatever, um, a French philosopher or um, or someone or, or Cicero anyway. And, and then the, the, the quote is different. 
hey, <laughs> you cannot do that to me. But then, I mean, in this kind of, you know, strong chaos, you see that she's doing that because she's relieved like a rapper you know you you have to <laughs> follow the flow i admire her very much for uh because she's uh, uh she's someone who um in in her, her in her work of a science fiction she could i mean she was able uh both to challenge uh, gender stereotypes uh and uh, and genres Stereotypes. So, because I mean, it was, it was very rare for a woman to to write about, you know, to write science fiction. But it was even uh, more rare to write, a, let's say, a feminist science fiction in, in a may in in a in a kind of a world where just men could uh, uh, were allowed to, to to write science fiction. And this kind of science fiction was um, super militaristic and macho and, and whatever. So, and, um, so she uh, tries to, to, to write um, these space adventures, but um, without the mythological figure of the hero. And uh, as we are accustomed in all the classic science fiction, but maybe in literature in general, and that was not uh, simply, you know, a way to make um, this adventure more um, democratic, let's say, but also to undermine the extremely linear type of narration that... uh, that the hero carries with himself because uh, um, a hero want to so heroes as desire and uh, this desire is to win and to conquer something um, and so yeah I don't know and, and she and I also like her very much because uh, she was a woman that changed uh, her mind uh, about her ideas and uh, and apologized because uh, there is this beautiful essay that she wrote and then she wrote another um so like um a different version of the essay uh, about um um i mean she, in which she, she uh came back to her former position and uh, apologized because she was too um arrogant uh, uh, towards uh critics that some feminist um uh, express against her and so while she was you know dismissive at the time then uh, years later she said you know what you you were right and i was wrong and i don't know how many writers or yeah, the humility is impressive isn't yeah, it? And, yeah, the abili- exactly. and the ability to revise her own thoughts and to think and to see other people's points of view and i suppose that's also one of the things that she did so well in her writing yeah exactly um can I ask you when you first do you remember when you first read an Ursula K. Le Guin novel, which one it was? Um I, I think I mean I was young, so uh, and uh, maybe fifteen. Uh, uh and it was the um, left um the left hand of darkness. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That I think that's one of the I must admit I'm very underread when it comes to like okay. that's the one novel of hers I have read properly and it's it's astonishing. It's unlike any other sci fi novel I've ever really yeah. come across, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, that, and also, I guess I'm a little bit interested in this idea of translating sci fi as well, because you've also worked on translations of Octavia E. Butler mm-hmm. haven't you, and Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. So, is this a particular, does one, I have no idea, so maybe this is a foolish question, but do you, once you sort of get into translating sci fi, does that mean that 
more sci-fi comes to you for translating do you want to do more of it is it a kind of is it a very niche genre that certain people do and certain people don't do in translation i don't know yeah actually uh it all <laughs> began when uh, me and another um, italian writer and translator um claudio Durastanti, that maybe you know i don't know and uh we actually um uh, curated together um, a speculative fiction anthology uh, that was ah. called uh, Sister of uh, the Revolution and um, that, that so it was a collection of these um, short stories by different um, female writers and, uh, and, and since that uh, I don't know, they I mean um, Claudia Durastanti somehow, um, I mean since uh, uh, our um, a novel just came out after that and was a, um, a, a memoir or, or anyway, out of fiction novel about her and her family. So she was not the, you know, sci fiction uh, um, writer and, anymore. I mean, she, well, after that translation, after I wrote uh, a book that, um, that was called Miden in uh, in Italian and the girl at the door in in English, mm. and that uh, was also a kind of uh, very light <laughs> uh, speculative fiction novel. So I was still, you know, in this kind of vibe. And after okay. that, I got so many. I don't know. Yeah, they asked me to translate a lot of uh, science fiction, but I refused a lot of that because uh, actually I just want to translate. Then it was more it was me actually proposing to translate. Uh, uh, yeah, for example, Octavia Butler, that was totally unknown in uh, in Italy, and basically, oh, wow. she's still unknown, even if I <laughs> try to, you know, to translate uh, her books. I mean, yes, also Ursula Le Guin is quite unknown. So anyway, I, I wanted to help to make these mm. books have a, a new audience because. Uh, but I didn't succeed. So, but uh, <laughs> anyway, it's early hope. days. <laughs> yeah, it's early days. People, people will still discover the wonders yeah. of Octavia Butler and Ursula K. Le Guin through your wonderful work. So, that's for people to look forward to. Um, and finally, then today, Veronica, to celebrate Virago's fiftieth anniversary, we're asking all our guests to uh, recommend one Virago book. What is the one Virago book that you would recommend to others? Press on others, make other people read. Um, the Collected short story by Grace Paley. Tell me a little bit about when you first read Grace Paley and what she means to you. I, I reread her um, constantly because, um, especially in this moment, um, I mean, I, I'm now working on a collection of short stories myself. And, okay. um, and when I have to write a short story, I always reread Grace Paley because I think it's one of the best uh, author that was short stories and uh, and maybe because <clears throat> our short stories are not what you expect from a short story where you you know mm. very often are very well constructed uh, story with the beginning and then end and all um, the middle or well done well I I feel reading our, our short stories that um um that, that you you have the feeling it's like you, you get like <clears throat> um oh, it's like yes opening a door and entering a room where there is a 
already conversation on and you okay. stay there and uh, hanging around a little bit and uh, listen to some of it and then uh, maybe feels very connected to the other people in the room and uh, you feel that you know everybody even if you don't so you're there for a while then you but then you left all of a sudden oh. and I think their short stories as this quality they start in a an imprecise moment in the life of the characters and then she left before you know the how the story will end and that's what I like in our short stories and and actually what I like in short stories in general so when uh, it's real just a fragment in the history Mm. of the of the characters and uh um, and of course, I, I I love our female characters and uh, and this sort of um, um, understate understatement irony they have and uh, the cute observation of uh, of small details and uh, but yeah, but, but what I admire the most is this um, kind of. Um, the the absence of a, a clear structure so they really the opposite of what you expect when you um, go to uh, writing uh, creative writing tools and say you know you have to have this this and this <laughs> yeah she breaks all the rules and it, yeah I mean she doesn't brilliant. care maybe I don't know if she wants yeah. to break but uh, so you yeah you, know, you enter in a moment and you then uh, came out, out for, and uh, yeah and that's, so I, I love her and. Uh, and I would love very much to to write at least one short story as she does. <laughs> That's your task now, is to go and write a short story worthy of Grace Bailey. Um, thank you so much, Veronica. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for sharing all your top picks with us. Thank you. Thank you, everyone else, for listening to Our Shelves, uh, which is brought to you by the team at Virago Press. Special thanks to today's guest, Veronica Raimo, and tune in next time for more conversation about books, feminism, and culture. Mm-hmm.